0: Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we do ask that as we consider the empty tomb, the tomb of Christ having been raised from the dead, Lord, we know that you bring all things about. Lord, we know that you are the one who raised Christ from the dead. Having promised to raise Christ from the dead and Christ being raised from the dead to new life, we know that in Christ we can have new life. That when we die, we too can be raised from the dead. That our death on earth is simply a new beginning of eternity with you. We thank you for the empty tomb. We thank you that we can remember on this Easter Sunday that Christ is not dead, that he has risen just as he said. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. While well, you're being seated, go ahead and turn with me to, Mar- or to uh, Matthew chapter 27. And uh, as Pastor Mick said, you're welcome to join us right after church. We'd love to have you over to our house. We've got lots of food. You just go out of the parking lot, turn right, turn right on Club, turn right on Varden, and then left. So addresses in there. I know you guys have maps. We were looking, and we're like, do we need to put a map on there? And I was like, no, it's not 1999. So we don't—you <laughs> can—I know you have a phone. You can just look it up and find out where we live. So feel free to join us right after church. Uh, we've got, like I said, lots of food, bounce houses for the kids, and some of the adults told me— I'm going to get in the bounce house. I'm like, all right, fine. Bounce house is for everyone. So we're going to have a good time though right after church celebrating the uh, thing that we have in common, the thing that brings us here today, the life, the death, and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, when I was in high school, my senior year, I had a teacher. I don't even remember her name. We called her Mrs. B. And her and I had one thing in common. We were each about to leave. I was a senior graduating, and she was retiring. That were her last couple of months, that last semester from like January through June. And neither one of us really wanted to be there. And I had the benefit that she didn't have, I guess, is that I didn't really have to be there as often. And so one day she pulled me aside and she said, Brandon, if you don't fill this seat in class, you're not going to fill a seat at graduation. And I was like, okay, I get it. She was really nice. She was doing it for my benefit. It was a kindness that she was doing to me. So I said, how many more times do I have to be in the seat in order to graduate? And she said, if you're not going to be in the seat, you at least have to have an excused absence, which means I had to have a note, which a note was very easy to get. And so I could just bring her a note and then be late. And she didn't really care because it was a typing class and I knew how to type. And it was this agreement that we had that I would be there as often as I could. And, uh, and she would let me graduate, you know. So it was very nice of her to, uh, to let me not always fill the seat and let my seat be empty sometimes and still let me have a seat at graduation. In my emptiness, there was significance because had I continued to be absent... It would have affected my graduation, which I did not want to do summer school having had graduated. The significance was the emptiness. I want to show you a couple pictures that are quite the opposite. The significance is the fullness of them. This is Buddha's tomb. This is the tomb of Confucius. Karl Marx. Michelangelo. Muhammad, the Green Dome, Napoleon Bonaparte, Pharaoh Khufu. Those tombs you can visit today, and if you were to open them, you will find the bones of dead men. The significance of those tombs is that it is where those men are buried. When you die... The significance of your tomb is that it will be where you are buried. The significance of the tomb in which Jesus was buried is that it's empty. The significance is that Jesus is no longer in the grave. If you'll turn with me to Matthew chapter 27, where we're going to pick up is in verse 62. We've seen the life and the death and the burial of Jesus. And in verse 62, we start to look toward the resurrection. After he was buried, it says, The next day, which followed the preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees, those are the religious leaders, they gathered before Pilate, who was the Roman governor. The chief priests and the Pharisees said, Sir, we remember... That while this deceiver was still alive, he said, After three days I will rise again. So give orders that the tomb be made secure until the third day. Otherwise his disciples may come and steal him and tell the people, He has been raised from the dead. And the last deception will be worse than the first. You have, you take a guard of soldiers, Pilate told them. Go and make it as secure as you know how. So they went and secured the tomb by setting a seal on the stone and placing a guard. So the Jewish leaders are worried that some of Jesus' disciples will come and steal his body and then claim he rose from the dead. It was a claim that Jesus had already made. They knew what he was talking about when Jesus said, destroy this temple and I will raise it in three days. So now the chief priests and the religious leaders are thinking, What did he mean by raise it, except for we know he's dead and we want to make sure he stays that way. So they send the guard to guard the tomb. Chapter 28. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to view the tomb. There was a violent earthquake because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and approached the tomb. He rolled back the stone and was sitting on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards were so shaken by fear of him that they became like dead men. The angel told the women, Don't be afraid because I know you are looking for Jesus who is crucified. Verse 6, some of the greatest words in the New Testament. He is not here for he has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. And then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead, and indeed he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Listen, I have told you. So departing quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, they ran to tell his disciples the news. Just then, Jesus met them and said greetings. They came up, took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. And then Jesus told them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to leave for Galilee and they will see me there. So Mary and Mary Magdalene and the other women had gone to the tomb. They didn't know how they were going to move this giant stone that blocked the entrance. But when they got there, the angel told them he's already been resurrected. Just as he said, go on and you're going to find him in Galilee. Verse 11. As they, the women, were on their way... Some of the guards, that is the guards who were guarding the tomb, came into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. After the priests had assembled with the elders and agreed on a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money and told them, say this, his disciples came during the night and stole him while we were sleeping. If this reaches the governor's ears, We will deal with him and keep you out of trouble. They took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been spread among Jewish people to this day. So the guards came to the religious leaders. The religious leaders still trying to concoct a plan to make sure that Jesus has not risen from the dead. That they want to keep a lid on this. And they tell the soldiers just lie about it and say that the disciples came and stole his body. Well, we see that on the cross, Jesus died for the sins of mankind. Jesus is placed in a tomb, and three days later, as he said, he raised from the dead to prove that he had defeated death. Jesus overcomes death. And in overcoming death, Jesus has promised that he can do the same for you that Jesus offers a death-defeating life. That those who believe and have faith in Jesus will also be raised from the dead. But it requires both faith and it requires belief. There was a man who was walking along a cliff, enjoying the view of the ocean And some of the rocks started to give way as he was walking. And as he started to fall 200 feet down to the ocean, he caught onto a branch. And as he was holding the branch, he yelled, Jesus, save me. And all of a sudden, a voice from heaven says, I will save you, my son. Just let go. The man still holding onto the branch looks up and he says, is there anyone else up there? You see, when Jesus offers to save, he offers to save in his way and on his terms. If we are to be saved by the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, it's done in his way, and it requires faith and belief. You might remember the old quote from Benjamin Franklin. That the only certain things in life are death and taxes. Well, Jesus paid his taxes, but for Jesus, death was not a certainty. He didn't evade death, but he did defeat death. In so doing, John, in John's gospel, Jesus says, You pour over the scriptures because you think you will have eternal life in them. And yet they testify about me. But you are not willing to come to me so that you may have life. To have that life that Jesus talks about means that you have to come to him. He has defeated death. He can and does offer new life. The life that he offers is offered through a surrender to him alone. So we see that Jesus has defeated death. And in this passage, we also see a lot about the Roman guards. We see that Jesus overcame death But also in the process, he overcomes Rome and all that Rome stood for. At this time, Rome was by far the most powerful empire on earth. Nobody could stop Rome. They marched where they wanted, they set up boundary limits where they wanted. And so Pilate, the Roman governor, sends his guards to seal the tomb, to verify that the body is there, and then to stand guard. Now, this is the most powerful nation on earth. The way they generally would seal was with a rope, and it would be stuck with wax. It wasn't meant to actually hold anything. It was meant to prove that this seal had not been tampered with. So in the wax, they would push in some kind of identifying mark. They usually used like a signet ring, and they would push into the wax something that was identifiable. So if anybody broke the seal and rolled away the stone they would know that someone has tampered with it. But even beyond that, Pilate sends his own guards to guard the tomb. And in verse four of chapter 28, we see the guards were shaken with fear and they became like dead men. And then in verse 11, these same guards who were shaken with fear come back to the Jewish leaders and they start to, tell the story of what happened. There was a violent earthquake. There was some guy whose clothes were like lightning and things were happening. And certainly the chief priests are like, what are you guys talking about? And all of these guards are together like, we know it doesn't make any sense. But what we saw, we saw. They were unable to stop all of what transpired. A trained army of soldiers... The most powerful nation on earth was not powerful when it came to the empty tomb. They were unable to stop what Jesus was doing. When my son was younger, he and I and a couple of the older kids had gone down to Knott's Berry Farm. And we were standing in line, kind of, you know, wandering back and forth in the line. And I could tell that he was getting more anxious about the ride and he was a little scared of it. He was like, three or four years old. And so I asked him, are you scared of the ride? And he's like, yeah, kinda. And so I said, you don't have to worry. Every day, thousand people ride this ride. It's been there for 20 years, and every day people ride it, it'll be there for another 20 years, and the likelihood of us flying off the track to our untimely death is very low. That, that didn't bring him as much comfort as it did in my mind. <laughs> and so I told him, I said, but don't worry. I've ridden this ride before and it'll be okay. When I told him that I had been there before, that did bring him comfort. When we face death, Jesus has been there before. He's walked that road. He knows what it looks like. To have death in front of him and continue going that direction. Because Jesus knows and cares, he's able to provide comfort to us. He's able to say, come with me. I've done this before. I'll walk you through this. Not only did Jesus defeat death, but Jesus defeated the Roman army who sought to keep him in the tomb. And then to me, probably the most interesting part of all this is verses 11 through 15, where the soldiers come back to the chief priests. The chief priests bribe the soldiers and tell them, let's, let's make up this lie about what really happened, because we don't want all these things that you've now told us to get out. So I'm going to tell you some of the things that the chief priest said, Because I have a lot of questions about who thought this was a good idea. Firstly, the chief priests say, what we're going to do is we're going to tell everyone that you fell asleep. So trained Roman soldiers, you all just fell asleep. And the soldiers like, okay, I fell asleep. They're like, no, 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 you all fell asleep at the same time. Yes. Okay. So you all fell asleep at the same time. And then what? Okay, so we're all asleep, right? And then these fishermen and tax collectors and very regular people come and they roll this giant stone away, which wakes us up? No, 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 you're still sleeping. Okay, so you're sleeping. Like a bad cartoon, they're gonna like tiptoe over your bodies, you know, and they're like knocking cans. No, no, no. So we stay asleep the whole time. They manage to roll the giant stone away. And then what you're going to do is you're going to tell everybody that those disciples of Jesus carried his body away. Having rolled the stone away all this while you were sleeping. Certainly the soldier said, well, if we were asleep, how did we know they took the body? How did we know it was the disciples that took the body? And if we know the disciples took the body, why don't we just go knock on their door? Hey, we saw you while we were sleeping. Give us back the body of Jesus. Because then Christianity just like starts to spread everywhere. If they really took the body, then you just go to all Jesus' followers and be like, hey, sorry, but here's Jesus. We got his body. He's really dead. I know he said he was going to rise from the dead. I know you think that, but he was in the back room at your friend's house. We found it. There it is. But that's not what the chief priests had. They had this very outlandish lie that doesn't make any sense. Certainly, as they went through this process, somebody later was like, that was a bad idea. We should have taken like 10 minutes and really brainstormed this. Like on a whiteboard, what are the possibilities that we could say? Because what we have is not a good plan. It was so far-fetched. That it became unbelievable. And yet, this is the story that has been spread among the Jewish people to this day. That his disciples came, tiptoed around the sleeping guards, rolled the stone away, and took the body. We also are prone to believe outlandish lies. We are prone to believe that we are self-sufficient, that I am independent, that I can do all things by my own strength because I give me power. We are inclined to believe that if I had more possessions or money or assets or something, if I had more, then I might be happy. If I had more or something specific, when I get this thing, then I'll be happy. We're inclined to believe that hedonism, the idea of being self-indulgent will bring us fulfillment. If I had everything that I ever wanted, if I was able to do everything that I ever wanted, that would bring me fulfillment. In that, I would be happy. I think one of the most common lies that we're tempted to believe today is the idea of escapism. That I don't want to have to deal with the problems in my life. I don't want to have to deal with everything that's going on. And so I can just escape from that reality. I can overindulge in alcohol or drugs or binging of whatever and those things help me escape from reality and if I can escape from reality long enough, I don't have to deal with it. Obviously, we still have to deal with those things. We're also tempted to believe in relativism. That there is no truth. What's true for you is not true for me. You live your own truth and I live my own truth. Like the Pharisees, we can tell ourselves whatever we want. It doesn't make them true. It took a lot of money, I'm sure. Verse 12 says, a large sum of money to pay these Roman soldiers to tell this lie because nobody was going to believe it. So it took a lot of money for them to say, I will tell your lie. For us, it doesn't take much. We don't want to have to deal with the hard things in our lives. So we lie to ourselves. We tell ourselves, it'll all be okay. I'll just wake up in the morning and everything will be fixed. But the truth is that God has a purpose for your life. God has a plan. God has a will for your life. And it transcends all of those things. Money won't bring happiness. Status and fame and success won't bring fulfillment. You'll never find what you're looking for in all of those things. Because they don't truly give life. The only one that can truly give life is the one who has overcome death. Jesus says in John 10:10, I have come so that they may have life and that they may have it abundantly. You've probably seen the old game shows where there's a, a curtain and something behind the curtain, and there's like another curtain and these like doorways that there's something behind them, and the host says, Behind one curtain is a grand prize, and behind another curtain is disappointment. Pick a prize. Pick a curtain. Which one do you want? Do you want the prize? Do you want the disappointment? And you, so you kind of like look back and forth, and, well, I'll pick door number one. So they pull back the curtain, and sure enough, there's only disappointment. So you missed out on the prize, and so they pull back the other curtain, but there's nothing there. It's also disappointment, and that's life. You go to college and you're going to get a new job and you're going to make more money and you're going to have a house and you're going to have kids and you're going to have the cars and you're going to have all these things and then I'm going to be happy. And you keep striving and you work and you look for and you keep trying to gain because I need more things. And those things don't work and so therapy doesn't work and we seek after and we're looking for fulfillment. And no matter how many doors we open, no matter how many curtains we draw, everyone leads us feeling disappointed because we're promised that on this side of the curtain is the prize. So every time we draw the next curtain, we're left a little more frustrated than we are the last. The problem is is that no matter how many doors you open, no matter how much fame and fortune and health and all of the things that the world says will bring you happiness, will make you feel fulfilled. None of those things ever actually fulfill. The answer to what happens when I die. The answer to why am I here? What is the meaning of life? How do I find peace? What will bring me happiness? What will cause my anxiety and worry to subside? The answer for all of those things is Jesus. The only prize worth pursuing is Jesus. The emptiness of life is ironically filled by the empty tomb. The one who left the tomb had power over death, had power over his enemies, also has power over your circumstances and your problems, over your marriage issues. He has power over the things in your life that you look at and say, I can't do this on my own. I've tried and I don't know what else to do. And that's where you end, and Jesus begins. Because no matter what the striving looks like, no matter what the differences are, no matter how much we try to do it on our own, we still are pulling back the curtain to emptiness, to frustration, and to disappointment. And Jesus says, I've come to give life. Not just any life, but to give life abundantly. You see, the the chief priests, the religious leaders, they knew there was something different about Jesus. There were a lot of people that claimed to be the Messiah. They killed him, and then they just went away. They even say that. They say, if it's actually something, just let it happen. It'll fizzle out. But if it's nothing, and then you kill the guy, you kind of put him on this pedestal. And they knew that there were so many false messiahs that had come, And they all fizzled out. The chief priests knew that. The Roman soldiers and Pilate, they went to guard Jesus for a reason. He was dead. So why not just let him be dead? They believed that Jesus was different. They believed that Jesus had something different about him. And I would guess most people here today have some supernatural belief. Have some religious belief. Belief. The difference between belief is belief is knowing that you think something is true. When you add faith to belief, you're saying, I not only know something to be true, but I believe what Jesus is saying is all true. Faith is being sure of what we hope for. Faith is being certain of what we do not see. By faith, we trust in Jesus. A lot of people believe that there's a God. A lot of people believe that Jesus lived. Believing and having faith are two different things. Even the demons, the Bible says, believe. But they don't have a faith that saves them. So if we look at the implications of the empty tomb... If we look at and say, if Jesus really lived, if he was buried on the cross, or crucified on the cross, and if he was buried in the tomb, and if he rose from the dead as he said he would, then what does that mean to my life? What does that mean to my life if he who overcame death promised that I too will overcome death? You see, for Christians, death is like, living our lives on the tarmac in an airplane waiting to take off. And our lives are this slow progression from birth through whatever age we die at. And for some people, the plane just goes down from there. But the picture that we have in the Bible is, as Christians, we get to the end of the runway and the plane takes off. The end of our life, the end of the runway is simply the beginning. Jesus overcame death so that we don't have to die. That we don't have to come to the end of our lives and wonder, what happens to me when I die? What happens to me? Am I abolished? Am I annihilated? Am I good enough to get to heaven? If I treat people right and I live a good life, will I please God and get to heaven? If the implications of the cross and the tomb are real, and if Jesus is who he said he is, then all of what he said has to be true. And he said that anyone who comes to me and believes and has faith will be saved. If you've never believed in Jesus and had faith, he says, come to me. Anyone who's weary, Struggling, tired of all of the problems. He says, come to me, I will give you rest. And he will give the peace of God that only he can give. In Romans, it says, this is the message of faith that we proclaim. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the significance of the empty tomb is that Jesus was alive and then he was dead. The empty tomb proves and shows that not only was he raised from the dead, but that he has promised that he will raise us from the dead as well. Let's pray. Lord, you have given us a great truth. Lord, I pray that as people hear your word, that your word would convict them that you are the only way, that there is no one else, there's no other name by which we must be saved, that we must come to you, that we must humble ourselves and surrender our own will, our lives, our hopes and dreams, and that you'll replace them, that you'll give us better hopes and better dreams and a better life through Christ. We thank you that the tomb is empty Thank you that we don't have to wonder what happens when we die. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.